Okay, Judges 19. Judges 19 is where we are. And um, here in Judges 19, uh, we are seeing this bigger theme in verses um, 17 through 21. There was no king in Israel. And every man did what's right in his own eyes. That's stated in its fullest form in 17.6 and 21.25. It is stated in a more abbreviated form, there was no king in Israel in 18.1 and 19.1. Now, I I think ultimately, I ask you to think with me on this, but... While this is talking about the advantages of a centralized government to some degree, it is also bigger than that. Because as you see the story of Israel unfold in the Old Testament, when the, when the story unfolds and they have a central government, it doesn't answer all their problems. And so ultimately, it is a recognition of the need for God as king, I think. But we'll see that as it unfolds. What we're going to notice at the beginning of this section is there are a lot of striking connections, similarities, between 17 and 18 on one hand and 19 through 21. A lot of them that you encounter from the very first Verse, you encounter the idea of the hill country of Bethlehem, of Bethlehem in Judah, of a Levite, and hospitality is going to be a major theme uh, throughout this particular section. Um, so, one of the things that's different here in Judges 17 and 18, you have a person from the hill country of Bethlehem. Uh, traveling to, um, oh, excuse me, a person from Bethlehem in Judah traveling to the hill country of Ephraim, and here you have the reversed. The reversed. I think I said that right. If not, we shall see as we read this. But let's look at Judges 19, verses 1 through 10. Judges 19, verses 1 through 10. It came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levi staying in a remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and she went against him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for a period of four months. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him. And he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged. They ate and drank and lodged there. Now, what we're about to read 
is going to kind of wear you out. It, it wears me out every time I read it. But you have to say, what's the purpose of this? Why is this being said? Verse 5, It came about on the fourth day that they got up early in the morning and he prepared to go. And the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Sustain yourself with a piece of bread and afterwards you may go. So both of them sat down and eat and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. Then the man arose to go, but his father-in-law urged him. So he spent the night there again. On the fifth day, he arose to go early in the morning. And the girl's father said, Please sustain yourself and wait until noon. So both of them ate. When the man arose, when the, while the man, when the man arose to go along with his concubine and servant, his father-in-law, the girl's father said, "Behold, now the day is drawn to a close. Please spend the night. Lo, the day is coming to an end. Spend the night here, that your heart may be merry." Then tomorrow you may arise early for your journey so that you may go home. But the man was unwilling to spend the night. And we could we could stop. I know it's the middle of verse 10. But we could let that be the end of our first section right there. And, and let's talk about these, these passages. First of all, we've already noticed... The how this picks up on a lot of the same subject, thinking, uh, so showing us that this should all be held together. But the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that this Levite has a concubine. The Levite has a concubine. She leaves her husband, goes to her father in Bethlehem and Judah, and is there. Four months. After this time, the Levite goes to her. Now, in verse 2, and tell me if your translations differ here. In verse 2, his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah. Do all of your translations have played the harlot? Brad, you said no. What do you say? And it says she was unfaithful to him. Okay, unfaithful to him. That's probably looking at the same text, though, even though it would use that term uh, unfaithful, because this is the word played the harlot that is, that is used sometimes in the book for Israel worshiping other gods. Um, 8.27, I believe it is also in 2.17 that this particular, all of those references are from the book of Judges, but uh, that would be still the same verb. But So, unfaithful. Do any of you have anything else? In verse 2. I just have a footnote that says, uh, became angry with. Okay. The the Hebrew text has played the harlot, and I think that the translation, and what translation is that, Brad? NIV. NIV has kind of just toned it down a little bit to become unfaithful. 
But it's the Septuagint that has, she was angry with him. She was The Greek translation of the Old Testament had, she was angry with him. One manuscript of the Septuagint said, she despised him, as also an Aramaic paraphrase has, she despised him. So what was the tension between them? There's some uncertainty about all of that. Some uncertainty about all that's going on and all the tension that is existing, but it doesn't change the basic storyline. I think in most cases you go with the Hebrew text and maybe what this woman has done to her husband is a picture of what Israel has done to God. That may be the intended point. But her husband goes down to her and the Bible says he spoke tenderly to her. He spoke tenderly to her. And that kind of expression is used, for example, in Genesis 34 and verse 7 after Shechem has raped Dinah but he loves her and wants to win her over. I should say that's Genesis uh, 34 verse 3. Genesis 34 verse 3. But it is also used for Joseph and his brothers. When Joseph's brothers are afraid that he has not forgiven them, he spoke tenderly to them. And so it seems like right now, you know, he's trying to reach out to her. He's trying to be kind to her. And at this point, if this is all there was to the story, uh, it does seem to be the case. The father-in-law is glad to see him. He's glad to see him. He, he seems to want a reconciliation in this case, but he doesn't want them to go. The Bible says he detained him in verse 4. Now that word is going to end up being an important word throughout this chapter. The word can mean seized, has that significance. But right now he seizes him, he detains him, not in a bad sense, but in a sense that he wants to show hospitality to him. And for three days, they are there, and they eat, and they drink. They eat and drink for a period of three days. And then after three days, early the next morning, the Levite gets up to go. And the father-in-law begins begging him to stay longer. Another word that's going to be important as this chapter unfolds in verse 6, the word please, or at least that's how it's translated in the New American Standard. Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. So, so he begs him to stay in the morning. And then at morning, he begs him to stay at night and get up early in the morning. And he does. And then he gets up early in the morning. He begs him to stay later. And he does stay later. And he says, well, now you might as well spend the night. And finally, in the fifth day, he says, I've got to go. He was not willing, he was not willing to spend the night. Now, I told you 
that even though this gets to be a little redundant, every time he wants to go, we'll just stay a little bit longer until finally he has stayed to the fifth day. What is the point of that? <coughs> What's the point of that? This kind of hospitality is going to be contrasted in just a minute. I think this setting is a striking contrast to what we're going to see as the chapter unfolds. The hospitality that this man shows is just a striking contrast to what we're going to see. And so he appears in a good light. And let me emphasize a couple of things that I think really bring that out. The word sustain is used in 19, verse 5, and verse 8. This father-in-law says, sustain yourself with a piece of bread. And then in verse 8, please sustain yourself. He mentions a piece of bread. Of bread in 19.5. Both of these words that are used appear in the record of Abraham, Genesis 18, verse 5, showing hospitality to those who turned out to be angels. And so I think in a certain way, the vocabulary would have reminded the Israelites of Genesis 18 and Abraham's kindness to those strangers that came. The father-in-law appears in a very positive light from that perspective. He's appearing in a very positive light as the vocabulary even ties him with Israel's best past with the uh, with Abraham. Any any comments or questions right there on that? Okay. Uh, you mentioned um, playing the harlot is a phrase repeatedly used of Israel um, being unfaithful to God. Um. <clears throat> The Levite spoke, went to speak tenderly or speak to her heart. Mm-hmm. I have a footnote. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what okay. it can say that. Speaking tenderly is an idiom to convey the idea of speaking to the heart. That's the literal word. So in Hosea, um, God says, Hosea 2.14. Yes. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Bring her into the wilderness and speak to her heart. I think it's the same phrase. Yeah, I think it's just like very good, very good connection there, Hannah. Hosea 2.14, that God will speak tenderly to her, speak to her heart. And I'll tell you what's really striking if we were to be studying the book of Hosea. In Hosea 2, verses 2 through 13, Everything that Hosea says about Israel is they have sinned, they have forsaken him, they have worshipped other gods. And Hosea 2.14 opens up with, therefore. 
And you think because of all the mention of their sin, the therefore is going to begin to announce judgment. But instead, it announces God's mercy. Therefore, I will speak, I will allure her into the wilderness and speak kindly, speak to her heart. Very good. That is one of the places where that phrase is used. There are several others besides the two I put on the board. But very good point. Anything else? Okay, let's pick up, I'll just pick up at the first of verse 10. And let's read through verse 15. But the man was not willing to spend the night. He, he finally says, we've got to be going. So he arose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebesh, that is Jerusalem. And there was with him a pair of saddled donkeys, and his concubine also was with him. When they were near Jebesh, the day was almost gone. And the servant said to his master, Please, same word used four times in verses 6 through 9, Please come and let us turn aside into the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the sons of Israel, but we will go on as far as Gibeah. He came to his servants and said, Come and let us approach one of these places, and he will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. And we will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So they passed along and went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. Now, Jerusalem, or Jebesh, that is mentioned in verse 10 and 11, uh, it is only about six miles north of Bethlehem. So they haven't gotten very far. Haven't gotten very far in their journey before they start having to make plans to spend the night. In retrospect, it would have been better that they either left in the morning on the fifth day or they took the father-in-law's offer of hospitality and stayed another night and left early the next day. It would have been better but of course they don't know all that awaits them. But this account is dripping with irony. When the servant suggests, please let us stay in Jebesh. Let us stay in Jerusalem. The master says, no. We're not going to stay in a foreign city. Let's make it to Gibeah Aramah, which were about four miles, Gibeah was about four miles away. Let's make it there because we're not going to spend the night in a foreign place. I can't imagine they would have been treated worse in this foreign place than they were in the cities of Israel. I can't imagine if they would. I, I don't know what would have had to happen for them to have been treated worse. 
that they were. But you see, he thinks they'll be safe as long as they get to an Israelite city. Now, I know this Levite has a lot of problems of his own. But he seems to have some confidence in the character of the people of the land. And a confidence that was very clearly misplaced. Because they will not be that positive. And we have an inkling right here that things are not going to go well. No one took them in. There at the end of verse 15. After all the hospitality we've seen. After the generosity we've seen. Here they are. They come to a town. And apparently when new people came to a town. They went to the gate. And everybody knew about them as they came and went from the gate. Word went out. Visitors there in the gate. And apparently it was a normal thing to extend hospitality to them. But here they are, sitting as strangers, and nobody, nobody offers them a place to stay. We're going to find an exception when we get to verses 16 through 21 and 22. But any thoughts right there? Any thoughts on those verses, 10 through 15? Any questions that you have? Okay. Let's look at verse 16. Then behold, an old man was coming out of the field from work at evening, now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim and he was staying in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going? And where do you come from? And he said, We are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to remote part of the hill country of Ephraim. Now pay attention to this because your translations may differ here too. For I am from there and I went to Bethlehem in Judah, but now I am going to my house and no man will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for our donkeys and also bread and wine for me and your maidservant. And the young man who is with your servants, there is no lack of anything. The old man said, Peace be to you. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in the open square. So he took him into his house and gave the donkeys the donkeys fodder, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. The next line will say that they were celebrating. We'll, and we'll probably deal with that line both uh, with this and with the next section as well. But they were celebrating when all the horrible events of verses 22 through 30 occur. But, first of all, they, they come to the city, they're expecting somebody to show kindness, and nobody shows kindness. Nobody shows kindness. And... But there's an old man. Now what is striking about this old man? It mentions this old man several times. But 
What is one thing that's interesting about him? What's striking about him? He was a foreigner as well. Yeah, he is from outside the tribe. He is from outside their area. He is uh, from the tribe of Ephraim. So he's not a native Benjamite. And um, so the Bible tells us that um, he, he asks, well, where are you from and where you're going? And he says, well, we are, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah to a remote part in the hill country of Ephraim. doesn't explain, hey, uh, my concubine ran away from me and I went after her. Of course, he doesn't really need to in this case. But we know the backstory. He doesn't give it in this particular case. And it may not have made him appear in a good light. But he says, now I am going, the New American Standard says, now I'm going to my house. What do some of your other versions have in verse 18 as to where he intends to go? House of the Lord. How many of your translations had house of the Lord? So most all of them had house of the Lord. Is the New American Standard the only one that doesn't have the house of the Lord here? But again, there is there's logic behind this. There's a reason behind this. The, um, the Hebrew text said house of the Lord. The Septuagint, the Greek translation says my house. And so it's a determination here which makes most sense. It's interesting that while a lot of translations right now have the house of the Lord, many commentaries uh, make arguments as to why my house would be better. But, but he said, again, in verse 18, the key line, though, that I want you to, to see is this phrase, again used, it's used in 19, it's emphasized in 1915, and again in 1918, no man took me in his house. No man has taken me. No man has taken us into his house. No one has shown him kindness. No one has shown him hospitality. And he says in verse 19, yet there is both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for me and my maidservants. What's his point then? What's his point in verse 19? Well, they've provided the things that we need. Yeah, we, we've already got enough food. We're, we're not asking for anything except a place to stay. You know, they're looking for the equivalent of a Motel 6. They're not looking, you know, to, to, to have a big meal. They're not looking to anything. They're just looking to have a place to stay for the night. It's all that they need. And we've got food. Uh, we've, got, we've got food for the animals. We've got food for us. And we don't have any lack of anything in verse 19. But the old man said, he said, peace to you. This is the Hebrew word shalom. This is the word peace. This good, everything good, everything positive. Peace to you. He, but he uses the term only a couple of times here in Hebrew. He said, first, only let me provide all your needs. Let, let, let me, I know you've got food for the animals. I, I know you've got food for yourself. 
I want you to come to my house, but you let me provide for your needs. And then he also uses the term only. Only do not spend the night in the square. Now does he say that? Recognizing what would happen if they did. Do not spend the night in the open square. So the text tells us in verse 21 he took him into his home gave the donkeys fodder they washed their feet and ate and drank. Again, when Abraham took in those three in Genesis 18 he emphasized please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. He provided them water to wash their feet. Genesis 18 and verse 4. And Lot did the same. In Genesis 19 verse 2, when two visitors came to him, he provided them water to wash your feet. What you'll notice if you look at those cases though, those cases don't say that the host washed the guest feet. He only provides them water so they could do it. And when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he's going the extra mile. He as the host is not only providing the water, but he is doing the washing. But as they are in the house of this man, this older man from Ephraim, who has shown them kindness. The Bible says in verse 22 that they were celebrating. They were celebrating. And um, the text literally says there, Hannah mentioned a place that sometimes we have an idiom they, are, they were celebrating is an idiom. What the text really says is their heart was good and it's good in the sense, usually translated in the sense of something like Mary. That their heart was good. Now, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because that phrase was used in verse 9, verse 6, chapter 19, verse 6, and 19, verse 9 of what happened in the father-in-law's house. There's a comparison being made by this phrase, a comparison being made between this man and his hospitality and the hospitality that was shown by the father-in-law. And there is a point being made about the fact their experiences, their experiences in the house of their uh, father-in-law compared to their experiences in the house of this man. But there's about to be a drastic difference that's to be introduced. And we want to make sure we deal thoroughly with that. But, but right now, do you have a thought? Do you have any question you want to ask?
So let's see what happens. Verse 22. While they were celebrating, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door, and spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out, bring out the man who came into your house, that we may have relations with him. Now, the literal word here, and it's a word I'm going to use in the sermon today, that we may know him. But again, know here is used in a sense, it's a euphemism for a sexual relationship. I think it's the NIV that has that we may have sex with them. And that is the idea. They will bring this man out that we may have sex with him. In verse 23, the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said, No, my fellows, please do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, and do not commit this act of folly. Here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out to you that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish, but do not commit this act of folly against this man. But the man, the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them, and they raped her and abused her all night until morning, then let go at the approach of dawn. By the way, as I pause at verse 25, have you noticed how many references there are in this chapter of the time of day it is? Just continually, we are told what time of day it is. Verse 26, As the day began to dawn, the woman came and fell at the doorway of the man's house, where his master was until daylight when her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way. Then behold, his concubine was lying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let us go. But there was no answer. Then he placed her on the donkey and the man arose and went to his home. When he entered his house, he took hold of, he, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her in twelve pieces, limb by limb, and set her throughout the territory. And it came about that all who saw it said, Nothing like this has ever happened or been seen this day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Now, I want you to understand, this is something I've said before, but if you're newer in class, I want to reemphasize this. The fact the Bible records it doesn't mean it's good or right. Often we are, these things are recorded that we might see what is bad and terrible and destructive and that we might learn from it. I want to tell you something else that I don't know if you've called on to. I have mentioned this before about this chapter, but I don't know if you've been sensitive to this today. In Judges 19, there is not a mention of God unless, verse 18, that house of the Lord reference. There's not a mention of God. 
Now, some people's dream is to have a society with no reminders of God. That's the kind of society you want. Here's a good example of where it leads. The Bible tells us the men of the city, and they are called worthless fellows. Hebrew is sons of Belial. We really don't know where that phrase, sons of Belial, what the origin of the phrase is. But it is a phrase used often, worthless men. And it's translated probably differently in some of your versions in verse 22. But does anybody have a significant difference there? Okay. Worthless men. But the men of the city... And later, the men of the city are going to defend this kind of behavior. So they're all responsible. How many ever are gathered here? The men of the city gather around, bring the man out that we may have relations with him. And the old man, the owner of the house, who has appeared in a positive light to this point, says, I have a virgin daughter. He has a concubine. I'll bring them out to you. Do to them what you want, but don't do it with this man. Now again, because he has appeared in a positive light to this point, doesn't mean this is right. Okay? It doesn't mean this is right. It's not right. And maybe homosexual rape was viewed as such an outrage that heterosexual rape was considered a, a, a step above, but both are outrageous. Both are outrageous. And so, while he mentions his virgin daughter, she disappears from the narrative. She doesn't appear, but says, Do not do this thing. Do not act so wickedly. And the word that is used in verse 23... Verse 23, and translated wickedly, this word is connected, do not act wickedly, this word is connected with the fact that the sons of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is kind of an epitome of what the book of Judges is all about and what the time of the Judges is all about. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, And do not do this thing and act wickedly. So they're called worthless men. Don't act wickedly and don't commit this act of folly. In 19, verse 23 and 24, act of folly. And it's a word that is often used. It's foolishness. Uh, is a word that's often used of sexual sins. Sexual sins. It's not exclusively because in Achan's case, in Joshua 7, in verse 15, he has said, or whoever stole the thing from Babylon, I believe that's the verse, is said to have acted foolishly. Stole things from Jericho, excuse me. He said they've acted foolishly. So it's not isolated to sexual sins, but it is often in the context of sexual sins. It is used, this is the word used in Genesis 
uh, 34 7 to talk about uh, the rape of Tamar. It is also used in 2 Samuel chapter 12 to talk 13, excuse me, 13 verses 12 through 14 to talk about Amnon, a brother, a half brother, raping Tamar. It is foolishness. It is folly. It is nothing to be proud of. It is foolishness. Wickedness. And perpetuated by worthless people. And the man seized his concubine and pushed her out to the crowd. Now there's a little ambiguity here. Who seizes her and pushes her out? The Levite. The, the man of the house. A little ambiguity. But you still see the final result. I think it's the, the, I think it's the Levite who does it. Remember I told you in verse 4 the word detain was going to be a key word. Detain him. His father detained him. In verse 25, the man seized the concubine. Same word. That word talked about he was detaining them. He was trying to seize them for the purpose of showing hospitality. Here this man seizes this woman and pushes her out to the crowd as a sacrifice. Now, keeping on talking about our day, do women, are really there, are, there, are you really going to want, oh, chivalry is so sexist that a husband would to do some kindness for his wife. You really want a society where husband and just says, okay, here she is. You do with her what you want and he's not going to protect her. Is that what feminists want? Some of them say they do. But look at the way it worked out. Look at the way this worked out. And they raped her all night long. And she is reaching for the door when he gets up the next morning and walks out as if nothing had happened and says, get up and let's go. And there's no answer. Because she's dead. And he took a knife, cuts her in 12 pieces, and sends her throughout the land. And again, when the Bible says in verse 29, he laid hold of his concubine, that's the New American Standard reading, he entered his house, took a knife, laid hold of his concubine. That's the same word seized back in verse 25. It's the same word detained back in verse 4. Same word. Same word. Now he's seizing her, laying hold of her to cut her up. And obviously, what would it mean if you just get a random body part? 
There's obviously some explanation that goes with this, of this happening. And they said, nothing like this has been done since we came out of Egypt. Does not even mention, does not even mention the Lord brought us out of Egypt. It just says, since we came out of the land of Egypt. Nothing like this has been done. I want to make another point. In verse 24, Here is my virgin daughter, and his concubine. Please let me bring them out to you that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. You know what it says in Hebrew? Do to them whatever is good in your eyes. The word for good is different than the word good in these verses. The word good is a different word for good. It's a more common word for good actually. But it's a different word. But it's the same idea. (coughs) When they are raping this woman all night long, they're doing what's good in their eyes. Foolishness. Um, Now, I know that some of you have picked up on the striking similarity that we have here between Judges 19 and Genesis 19. What happens in Genesis 19? <coughs> I know some of you know what's happening there. Lot was in Sodom and some men came to him. Okay. And so Genesis 19... Verses 4 through 8 describe much of the same circumstance as Judges 19, verses 22 through 24. Now, some of these comparisons I'm going to make go beyond these verses. Some of the comparisons go beyond these verses. You know why I'm mentioning these verses is because they contain the heart of the story. They contain the heart of the story. But I'll tell you something that's striking about them. In this first case, there are 69 Hebrew words. In this case, there are 69 Hebrew words. This Sodom and Gomorrah, this Gibeah, a city in Benjamin, God's people have become just like the Canaanites. Just like the Canaanites. Do you know there are churches that are having drag shows? Those who claim to be God's people are no different than the world. So you have in both cases, let me show some similarities. You have a small group of travelers. A small group of travelers. You have a foreigner, basically, Sister Hughes said, a foreigner who observes their presence and who takes notice of them. Lot, in one case, they said, you came in here as a foreigner and you're going to teach us. They are warned against 
spending the night in the square. They were warned against spending the night in the square. Uh, they are given water to wash their feet. Both cases have these things. Then um, they share a meal. <coughs> then the men of the city surround the house. The men of the city surround the house. And then they, the men are offered two women in exchange for their desire. I don't think it should have happened either time. Neither time. And um, but, but you see, these, these points are not just, whoa, what a coincidence. The Bible is in intentionally making a connection to show us, is intentionally making a connection to show us that God's people have become like Sodom. May the Lord help us. But this is what's going to happen to any person, to any group of people who don't constantly keep the Lord in the forefront of their mind. Thank you for listening. Um, and God bless. I do hope... Christy was telling me about y'all's question about Moses uh, in... 1830, and I do have a few ideas on that, but I want to research it further and, and deal with that. But thank you for being here. Thank you for our visitors, and, and, and God bless.